Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Got menopause? We've got you. Hi, Jackie here, founder of ExoJackie. Feel supported throughout your menopause journey and beyond with our organic protein powders and symptom relief boosts. Formulated to keep bones and muscles strong, ExoJackie products help reduce bloating, hot flashes, and weight gain. Enjoy 20% off with promo code EXOPODCAST. Shop now at exojacqui.com. Made for women by women. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds. And Ron DeSantis's PAC president resigned the day after his debate with Gavin Newsom. We have such an interesting show today. The Daily Beast's Kelly Wilde tells us about why the Seth Rich and Pizzagate conspiracy theories have resurfaced again. And then we'll talk to the Environmental Defense Fund's Fred Krupp about the big news this weekend of an agreement that'll help hold oil and gas companies accountable for methane leaks. But first, we have the host of the enemies list, the Lincoln Project's own, Rick Wilson. Welcome back to Fast Politics, your friend and mine, Rick... Rick <laughs> whatever. Rick Wilson, hi. I'm Rick Wilson, and thanks for joining us today on Fast Politics. <laughs> so let's talk about that debate last night. Ron DeSantis versus Gavin Newsom. Go. I, I have to say this. I tweeted earlier in the day there was absolutely no reason to watch this debate. And it's a rare thing. I'm just going to admit it, though. I was so wrong. <laughs> I feel like we have the Rick Wilson dirty talk here. He's like, when you get to a certain level of political acumen, Rick Wilson is cannot control himself. Continue. It's true. I believed that last night would just be a nothing burger, like a you know a wet fart in a hurricane. But it turned out that we learned three important things last night. Ron DeSantis's consultants and staff hate him. <laughs> They hate him with the fire of a billion suns. So are you saying that Jeff Rowe is not really ultimately on Team DeSantis? I am saying that every person who receives a paycheck from him last night must have been howling with laughter watching him get his ass beat like a rented mule. I mean, this guy got whipped up and down the stage by by Gavin Newsom. And it's not because Gavin's politics are more appealing. It's because Gavin Newsom knows how to stand on a stage and debate somebody. You could have flipped their ideological polarities 100%. Right, it wouldn't and Ron DeSantis still would have had his ass whipped, just beat so bad he couldn't sit for a week. <sighs> it was embarrassing. It was painful. You could even watch Sean, Sean Hannity's like facial tics a few times where he knew his conservative champion, Ron DeSantis, was getting his head cut off and kicked around like a soccer ball. Oh, my God, it was humiliating. I can't put too fine a point on the fact that there were people who believed that Ron DeSantis 
was a good debater <laughs> when this primary started. <laughs> Much like people who believe that the earth is hollow and the interior is, is filled with plant people. Much like people who believe that they hear the universe whispering to them to tell them to do things. This guy was so bad last night. I mean, so catastrophically, unbelievably shit-tier bad that if I had normal human emotions, I might have felt a moment of pity for him. No, I did not feel pity for him. But then again, I also do not have normal human emotions. Added to his catalog, and my video editors, of course, captured it all, his catalog of weird tongue movements. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. A lot of weird. His smile is like the smile of a serial killer. Right. When he's eyeing up a girl for a skin suit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that he's yeah. going to sew out of her flesh. I mean, it just was so goddamn horrible. It was painful. Yeah, horrible, horrible, horrible. If people think this is the guy who's going to beat Donald Trump in a Republican primary, I mean, what the hot fuck? <laughs> I think it's over. I mean, don't you feel like it, this was the end of Ron DeSantis's national political career? The only thing that's left of Ron DeSantis' campaign is a carcass that political vultures are picking over right now. <laughs> that was a debate of such disastrous proportions that ending the campaign is a mercy killing. <laughs> I literally could not tell you. When I, we were watching, we got home from dinner last night, we were watching it on DVR, and I was like, it was almost like a movie version of the inept, horrible conservative candidate getting his ass whipped by a slick rival. I mean, it's yeah. like, come on, man. Yeah, I mean, just incredible. And what struck me the most was there there really were things to be learned and gleaned from Gavin Newsom's debating style. For example, he really did sort of go in there like Sean Hannity. I've never seen a moderator be more biased in my life. Like Sean Hannity would ask a question. It would be like, Gavin, why is there so much crime in California? Why is right. California a burning hellhole that people are desperately right. trying to leave? Why do the living envy the dead in California? Right, Gavin? right. And he would be, <laughs> and you'd be like, well, that's not really. And I mean, I don't know if you watched the beginning of the debate, but so Sean Hannity spent about three minutes talking, but it felt like 20, talking about how these questions were going to be fact-based, which I guess was like, right. unlike everything else on Fox News. By the way, it, they were not fact-based, but they were like, some of them had charts. Yes. Poop charts. Poop charts. Well, that was later when someone <laughs> decided... The thing I loved about DeSantis is that he kept coming up with these anecdotes. He was like, I met this woman, so obviously a donor. She had to take off her jewelry before she went shopping. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm sure she was a donor, right? This, she has to have been a Republican donor right. who was like wearing lunch diamonds and she takes them off when she goes to the grocery store be because she puts them in the safe. I presume that, you know, the average DeSantis Florida donor is she's going to lock the Harry Winston up in the safe before she goes to Publix in the <laughs> afternoon. Right. She's sick of the iguanas falling on her diamonds. It's unbelievable. That I thought was amazing. And then he tried to do this gotcha with Newsom about Newsom's in-laws moving to Florida. That was like clearly when they were debate prepping, he was like, and then I'm going to drop the Newsom in-laws thing. And again, it was so badly done that I don't think it landed. Did he really have a conversation with Newsom's in-laws where they were like, we're moving to Florida? Of course not. Here's the, the real thing about debate prep, and I've done debate prep at every level conceivable. If you have a great opposition research hit, you better vet the shit out of it. Right. You better know it's exactly what you think it is. And you'd better be able to deliver it without seeming like you're teeing it up. Now I will vote. Now I will deploy my zinger. Stand by. Incredible stuff. God, I'd love to play cards with this fucker because he... Oh. <laughs> The other thing that I thought was really interesting that we kept seeing DeSantis do was that you could tell he was like very angry and he'd be like, he's lying. This is a lie. It's all lies. And then he'd laugh. He's lying. He's he's lying, Sean. Yeah. Sean. <laughs> yeah, no, look, I'm almost bored saying to people for the last year plus, two years almost, Ron DeSantis is an overpriced political stock. He's not good at the work. This is not a man with the natural airs and graces of politics. This is not a man who understands how to communicate with people or connect with people or to even walk down a street without having dogs howl at him. This is not a guy who comes across as normal. And the idea that you've got Sean Hannity 
trying to put the paddles on the chest of this guy's debate performance last night. The only thing more absurd about it is the DeSantis spin coming out of it, where they were saying, yes, DeSantis is obviously now the front runner of the presidential campaign. No. Here's how insulting I think it probably was in, in Trump's mind. He probably like gave up watching it after about after about 15 minutes. Right. Because it was just that bad. Also, the picture Fox released of the two of them, it looked like they were about to kiss. Oh, no, I didn't see that. Fox released a poster, folks. If you haven't seen it, look up the Fox poster of, of the two. They look like it was the cover of like a Harlequin romance novel from the 70s. It was like, now kiss me, you throbbing brute. But here's the like the $54 billion question. Is DeSantis so bad or is Newsom so good? It's DeSantis is so bad. Gavin is fine as a debater. Right. He's not top tier. Interesting. He's not a Barack Obama or a Bill Clinton. I thought he was Bill Clinton last night. So tell me why he's not Bill Clinton. Because here's why I thought he was Bill Clinton. And again, I don't know. Maybe this is my 45-year-old housewifery, not to be sexist and also deeply misogynistic about myself. But the thing I was struck by with Newsom, which I thought was a singular talent, and I could be wrong, was that he took every single Fox News talking point. He's actually become very focused on doing that. Right. Yeah. So she, Sean Hannity was like, crime, it's a real problem. And then all of a sudden we're here and Newsom is talking about gun safety and gun violence and mass shootings. And you're like, wait a second, isn't that a sort of singular talent or am I just like he's cute? Let me bifurcate the question. First, Gavin has become very adept at turning the Fox bullshit back on itself. Yeah. Pete Buttigieg also has become very adept at doing that. It bothers the Fox audience, which is why they only have them on in extremely limited quantities. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Again, Gavin was a fine debater, capable debater, marshaled his facts nicely. But this is like, you know, you're in a house with a kind of a musty, mildewy room and you walk into another room and there's a giant pile of horse manure. Right. The first room smells pretty good in comparison. <laughs> right. So it, it is partly that you were watching a decent to good debater take on probably the worst political communicator in the 2024 cycle. <laughs> watching that reminded me of watching what President Bartlett did for liberals on West Wing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like the whole way that character was written as like liberal porn in that era. This was modern day liberal porn. I felt like they engineered it to do it. As somebody who watches a million debates, I actually have to say I disagree. I think that was top tier performance for the audience he was trying to impress, which is primary voters. Who? Gavin Newsom's debate was right. all about telling primary voters I should be next in line. What about DeSantis? The Charlie Chris debate was the worst debate performance. I think I've ever clocked, maybe aside from Scott Brown versus Elizabeth Warren, that may be the only one worse. Yeah, okay. So there you go. And what do you think about it, Jesse? Charlie Chris at that point was a spent force in Florida politics. He's tired. He's exhausted. He doesn't know what he wants to be when he grows up finally. <laughs> right, exactly. And when you saw him put DeSantis on complete blue screen lockdown, Ron, are you going to stay here and serve the people of Florida as you're promising to do? Or are you going to run for president? And DeSantis was like... Oh, <laughs> and the gears was everyone clang, 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 clang. I mean, it was just a thing of beauty. As the kids would say, Charlie Chris brought NPC energy and still won. I don't know what that means. NPC is non-playable character in the video game. Uh, yes, he did bring NPC energy. But why is a non-player character? It's, it's something the youths than, like, Molly. Why is a non-playable character better than a playable character? It's worse. It's worse. Like, it oh, that, okay. like they have no personality. You forget them immediately. That's Charlie Crist. He's the most forgettable person. It's worse. Yeah, it makes it it makes it worse that Ron DeSantis was beaten. This is like Ron DeSantis could have debated a toaster oven <laughs> last night and still lost. Yeah, yeah, that is a good point. But it is interesting. I did really think to myself, like, we should have more debates. We should be watching this kind of thing more. Because ultimately, even though it is just like a pseudo event, like polls, like press conferences, it's manufactured for our amusement. And it's not a natural organic data point. It still is really a way of thinking about things that we just don't do that much in American media. Discuss. Well, I have a piece coming out next week about this. It's like debates at one point really served 
a purpose of showing you who the people running for president were. Mm. Right. It was one of the few ways that people got to look at the character in the modern era, got to look at the character and the ideals and the and the skills of a political candidate. It was a job interview. And you stood on the stage with a bunch of other people and you gave a job interview. Last night was like the scene in Step Brothers where they show up in the office wearing weird tuxedos and, <laughs> and are completely awkward. Right. And it just, you can't imagine the level of disaster that this guy posed <laughs> for his own campaign. And frankly, look, DeSantis did this because he's absolutely desperate right. for anything to change the dynamic of the presidential yes, primary. for sure. Other than Donald Trump dropping dead of a cardiac arrest, the dynamic is not changing. Right. right Sorry, right. Ron. <laughs> well, I also think the thing that was very striking to me, which I thought was kind of incredible, was Newsom said, when are you going to drop out? Well, I also liked when Newsom said to him, I'm going to endorse, endorse Joe Biden in a couple of weeks. You're going to endorse Donald Trump. <laughs> right. I mean, no, I mean, it was there were just a lot of really good lines in there. So, Rick Wilson, thank you for joining us. I hope you'll come back. Molly Jung fast. <laughs> there you go. I sleep better at night knowing my family is protected if something ever happens to me since I was able to compare plans very easily at policygenius.com. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quote and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. What up, everyone? It's Lunchbox from the Bobby Bone Show, and I'm here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car, like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive. You can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. Kelly Weil is a journalist at The Daily Beast and author of the amazing newsletter, Mom Left. Kelly Weil, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Here's a sentence I would like to have never had to say. <laughs> when Elon Musk started tweeting about Pizzagate, that's when you know a celebrity or a billionaire has really started to go off the rails, is when they start to embrace Pizzagate. We need the TLDR on what the fuck Pizzagate is. 
give us the 20 minute history in about two minutes. Okay, good. Because no one wants to listen to this for 20 minutes. It is way more than your brain cells deserve. Basically, Pizzagate is a resuscitation of a whole bunch of old conspiracy tropes. But this basically accuses prominent Democrats of trafficking children either for sex and or like drinking their blood and they're trafficking them through pizzerias. And it starts with the pizzeria that was owned by the husband of David Brock. Exactly. So they really homed in on this D.C. pizzeria that had literally never done anything wrong. Comet ping pong. Is the pizza there good? I have straight up never been. I do want to take a like a conspiracy tour, maybe like eat at the UFO restaurant in Roswell or something, get some pizza at Comet Ping Pong. But in essence, a whole bunch of nutjobs on the Internet got really worked up about non-existent child trafficking in the, by the way, non-existent basement of this pizzeria. There's no basement. And it got whipped into such a fever pitch that a gunman went into the pizzeria, which is really popular with children and their parents. He went in there at lunchtime, started firing off rounds because he was going to, um, you know, save the children. And that should have quelled the entire thing forever. To his credit, he did go looking, didn't find trafficking, did manage to shoot, you know, an AR a couple times in a crowded restaurant. But unfortunately, that did not put it to rest for some of the Internet's most colorful characters. How did Elon get involved in this again? So Elon has always been like kind of a conspiracy dabbler. You know, he he loves really lukewarm memes, really lukewarm conspiracy theories. So he's always getting to things like two to five years late. Just over the past like couple of weeks or so, he's been not just engaging with conspiracy and Pizzagate influencers, because he's done that a lot in the past, but actually promoting this kind of thing, tweeting out like an office meme, like a meme of Michael Scott from The Office. It's like endorsing the Pizzagate conspiracy theory. I mean, these are things that a few years ago, if somebody did that, that would just be like, okay, well, you're considered a crank for life. And Elon's doing it and he's got thousands of blue check fans being like, yeah, sir, that's awesome. That's so epic. Right. So he rediscovers Pizzagate. He starts tweeting about it. This then sets up a sort of like the Pizzagate people get super psyched because this is all they've ever wanted. Right. Exactly. All these people want is attention. And I cannot tell you the degree to which they've like they've pursued it. I've had Pizzagate people like scroll through my Instagram to like comment on my wedding photos, be like, Pizzagate is real. It's like so to get the richest man in the world endorsing your theory when previously you were like two and a half years deep on a random reporter's Instagram. That's huge. That is prime time, baby. They're jumping for joy about this. A lot of them are uh, kind of re-upping old Pizzagate content that was never taken seriously before, is not taken seriously now, but can get a lot more eyeballs than it used to. And that really is the sort of net-net here is, again, we don't know what's happening in his head, but it certainly seems like he thinks this will be good for the brand, right? (laughs) I would never presume to know what's going on in Elon's head. It is a complete mystery to me. I'd, I'd like to keep it that way. But he thinks of himself as a troll and he does promote content that's provocative, that's going to start arguments and often, you know, arguments to his side's favor. And the right has been really invested in Pizzagate because it's sort of, you know, it's a way to push this trope about, oh, you can't trust the elites. And conveniently in their narrative, the elites are, you know, like college professors and I guess reporters rather than extremely rich people with huge media franchises. So it's a very politically salient thing to promote and it works to Elon's favor. Explain to me exactly how Seth Rich factors into all of this. Yeah. So the Seth Rich conspiracy theory came around the same time as the Pizzagate conspiracy theory. The commonality they have is just like seething, foaming at the mouth resentment for Hillary Clinton, just throwing anything at the wall to see what will stick. Pizzagate suggested that she was involved in a uh, child sex trafficking ring. Seth Rich, basically, there was a young DNC staffer who was murdered in an apparent robbery in D.C. A whole bunch of figures on the right spun up this completely fake conspiracy theory, suggesting that he had leaked uh, DNC records to WikiLeaks that wasn't true. But the right seized on this tragedy and seized on this young man's family and 
really made their lives hell for a long, long time. And, you know, I think the family was able to claw back the narrative in some respects, very bravely going public, honoring their son's name. And also like Fox News had to retract their stories about this stuff because it was complete bogus. And yet, years after the fact, just like the resuscitation of Pizzagate, we're seeing a revival of Seth Rich conspiracy theories, both on Twitter and elsewhere. You know, I mentioned there was a Fox News story on him that had to be pulled because it was complete bullshit. Well, just this week, Fox is revealed to have rehired the producer behind it. So we're seeing, you know, kind of a, a grace period for getting called out in your bullshit. That's that's up. And they're just bringing back the classics. Is this a conspiracy? Like, is he doing this just because he's sort of baffling through, you know, everything? Or do you think he's doing this because he thinks it'll help Twitter traffic? And I mean, is he like doing the Trumpy thing of like touching the third rail because you just have decided that that's all you have and let's just try that and see what happens? I think it's a combination of those things. I think Elon just like Trump is like pathologically compelled to touch the third rail. But I don't think he's doing it for Twitter's benefit. I think he's doing it because he's literally addicted to attention. You know, he needs that. He needs that dopamine. He needs his reactions and everything like that. I don't think there's any way to argue that this is good for Twitter. I mean, but it drives engagement. To a degree. Yeah, totally. But I mean, there's just like engagement with whom I guess like they've brought back, you know, some far right figures on Twitter. But you look at the numbers and they're just they're plummeting. You and me are talking the night after Elon Musk went on stage at like a New York Times thing and said, my advertisers can go fuck themselves or something like that. I mean, this is not the brightest business mind running this company right now. And so I don't think like a Pizzagate post is ultimately going to drive engagement in a way that can be part of a company saving business plan, but it can definitely make him get the warm fuzzies for a little bit. Right, right, right. What does Pizzagate, that crew, like, what are they doing right now? Where are they in this world? Are they out campaigning for Trump? Are they, I mean, you know, you've got that guy who looks like JFK, who who (laughs) pretends to be, he doesn't look like him, but he pretends to be the reincarnation of JFK Jr. Are they all in on RFK? I mean, this is not a huge group, but it's Trump's base. It is Trump's base and it remains Trump's base. These are Trump people. These are not the Nikki Haley voters. These are the people who are all in on this cult of personality. And, you know, you ask where are they now? Are they like campaigning for Trump? I don't see them so much really digging into the nuts and bolts of electoral politics. Where I see them is actually like in school board meetings. The Moms for Liberty crew. Right, right. And I think there's actually, you know, I think there's something to be noted here about this Pizzagate panic about children and innocence and trafficking rising at a moment where there is a very savvy political effort to demonize LGBTQ people with this fear about, uh, you know, the the gays are coming for your children. They're going to corrupt them sexually. And that's why we need to pull all the books out of the library. So, right. you know, I think I, I think there's probably two two fronts to this approach. And one is, you know, the just outright explicitly Pizzagate stuff. And the other is, you know, a much more respectable, accepted school board politics, which does have a lot of the same messaging and implications. There are definitely members of Congress who are kind of QAnon adjacent. Talk to me about who they are and kind of what they look like. Absolutely. You know, a lot of new Congress members have got uh, a lot of influence by either outright endorsing some of QAnon's central claims or winking at them. Most obvious is Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has endorsed uh, QAnon like very explicitly in old social media posts. And these days she'll say, oh, you know, I was fooled. I was taken in. But she and a lot of the other folks who endorse this kind of thing never really deny the central allegations, which is this massive conspiracy against Trump and everyone who opposes Trump is part of a trafficking ring and we're going to reclaim the country in really fascist terms. You know, all of our enemies are going to be thrown into Gitmo. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, by virtue of like literally endorsing QAnon at one point, is probably the vanguard of that. But honestly, I think one of its biggest promoters is Trump himself. You look at his Truth Social and he is just straight up posting like, what do you call it, retruthing people with QAnon 
stuff. You know, he's sharing image macros with himself and like a cue over the face. He's using the same language about, you know, imprisoning his enemies and everything. So it's like <laughs> a few years ago, I, I would have been, I don't know, on high alert for Congress members who maybe explicitly endorsed QAnon on Facebook before they were running. And these days I'm like, I feel like the message of QAnon has pervaded the GOP so thoroughly that it's like a lot of this is de facto QAnon. Right. I mean, a lot of this is them pretending to do whatever you think the base likes, right? Absolutely. And that's like, I think that's probably a real conundrum for Republicans. It's like a lot of them are fewer now, but, you know, they they maybe got into politics on the idea that I'm going to be a fiscal conservative and we need lower taxes. And their bases are like, yeah, that's cool. I actually heard that uh, the superintendent is uh, trafficking children out of the basement of the library. And that's why we need to shut down public schools. It's like, that's quite the base to have to pander to. And I think some politicians have taken that on board with their messaging. Let's talk about your newsletter. Yeah. So a couple months ago, I launched a newsletter called Mom Left. It's a new newsletter for moms on the left. And I've been using it to chronicle some of the kind of school board craziness that's been blowing up this past year and will certainly continue over 2024. Since I've become a mom, I've really noticed that there's an increased political emphasis on mothers and their role in politics. So, you know, this is coming at a time when Moms for Liberty is gaining influence. Can we talk about the recent Moms for Liberty scandal? Oh, my goodness. Today? Yes. The uh, Florida Republican chair, Christian Ziegler, and his wife. Tell me who she is, what she is, and what the story there is. Absolutely. So Bridget Ziegler is sort of a Florida education mover and shaker. She was one of the founders of Moms for Liberty, this far-right education group. She is no longer with the group and they'll be like really picky. They're like, oh, no, 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 no. She's not with us now. But she created it. She created it. She's like on their founding document. Um, And you can dig through her history. You know, she tried previously uh, before Moms for Liberty to get far right education groups off the ground. Her more recent educational history is that she has been working really in lockstep with the DeSantis government, which in turn is very supportive of Moms for Liberty, to push a hard right message in Florida schools. She was on, I believe still is on the board of uh, the Saratoga schools. She was on the board of, uh, if you recall, uh, Ron DeSantis got in this insane feud with Disney World and decided it, uh, he had to have a board to like oversee them. She's on that. And her husband, Christian, was very recently appointed chair of the Florida GOP. Now, what has just come out today is that the Zigglers are uh, allegedly uh, part of, I'm, I'm not sure the depths of each of their attachment to the other party. They may be in a consensual thruple, it seems like. Yeah, there's some swinging going on there. Yes. And there may be larger swinging. And we are not here to cast dispersions on where people's weird sexual peccadillas. But we are here to cast dispersions on domestic violence, which is what this foray into. Absolutely. So we have a partly redacted criminal complaint from last month alleging sexual battery by Christian Ziegler. The woman in the complaint accuses him or, you know, one of the unredacted portions references rape. It references sexual assault. It doesn't appear that Bridget Ziegler was present at the time of it. But I mean, damn. Right. And I think more importantly, beating women up, you know, that's not okay. Finish up with the newsletter. Tell us the rest of the newsletter. Yeah, this newsletter has been so fun to write because, you know, I'm realizing how much of American politics can actually be viewed through this lens of being a mom. You know, it comes down to local politics Uh, As far as these school board battles go, they're getting more intense. They're becoming proxies for all kinds of American political dilemmas. And I'm also really interested in the economic nuts and bolts of it. You know, I know a lot of American families are struggling to make ends meet. And there are so many really interesting policy proposals that can make that easier for folks. It's just it's been an interesting project for me kind of navigating this world as a mom, as someone who is maybe psychotically invested in politics and seeing where those two things meet and certainly following 
the course of that because I know it's only going to get crazier as we get into 2024. Thank you so much, Callie. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Fred Krupp is the president of the Environmental Defense Fund. Welcome to Fast Politics, Fred. Delighted to be here, Molly. There's a pretty huge climate conference happening this week. Talk to me about how that's relevant to what you do and tell us a little bit about what it is you do. Well, the Environmental Defense Fund has been working on climate change for decades now. It's the biggest thing we work on. It's almost all we work on. Because if we don't solve climate change, you know, we're all in deep trouble, even many of us underwater, literally. So we have a crisis situation on our hands. We need urgent action. And the international COP process has been way too slow. And so, you know, what we've been working on, of course, for the last year is to try to make this COP28, which is now ongoing, super productive. It's in Dubai, which again, we've talked about that that is a little bit perhaps counterintuitive. But I I think that the point here is that you got to get oil companies involved in this, right? Yeah, no, many people have looked at the process and the these cops, these meetings rotate around the world. So this year it was the Middle East turn to host it and the nation that was selected is an oil-rich company, the United Arab Emirates. And the chairman of the COP has been roundly criticized for not only being chairman of the COP, but also the CEO of an oil company. We looked at that situation back in January and decided to be relentlessly pragmatic about it. It's up to the UAE who they appoint as chairman. We understand the criticism absolutely. And at the same time, Uh, looked at it as, you know, an opportunity to take advantage of the fact that Dr. Sultan is very respected within the oil industry by other oil company CEOs. And if we could get these companies that are putting so much methane pollution in the air to reach an agreement to dramatically cut that methane pollution, that would be a big win. Now, Molly, it doesn't solve climate change. It's just one of the things that needs to happen. But because methane is so, you know, potent, which I'm happy to explain if you'd like, it's actually a big deal. So let's not bury the lead here. You're the president of EDF, and there's a big thing that you guys have announced last weekend. So explain to us what it is and why it's meaningful. Well, on Saturday, Dr. Sultan announced that 49 leading oil companies, including nationally owned oil companies and international oil companies, have agreed to three key things. One is to reduce their methane emissions by what we calculate will be, for many of these companies, 80 or 90 percent. Two, that they have agreed to do it within five years, not by some faraway date like 2050, but now. And three, that these oil companies have agreed to submit monitoring and test data to verify that they've achieved this reduction to an independent third-party agency. So that will be one level of accountability, not the only level. So that's the big news that that happened Saturday. Explain to us what methane is and what it does. Yeah, why methane matters. Well, this has been a, a kind of a hidden secret. And most people who know a lot and care a lot about climate change think that it's all carbon dioxide. But in fact, about a third of the global warming that we're experiencing right now is caused by methane. And when we look forward at the pollution that is now being put in the air, methane from anthropogenic sources, human sources, will business our economy. Methane put into the air, say in 2023 or 2024, will warm the planet about as much as all the CO2 from burning all the fossil fuels on the planet for the next decade. Now, the CO2 is important because it keeps warming the planet for 100 years, so it's going to be important for our great, great, great grandchildren. But in terms of the next 10 years, what you and I will see, it turns out methane, by cutting methane, we can have a really immediate impact and lower the temperatures that we would otherwise see, lower the ferocity of storms that we'll otherwise experience in this next 
decade. And so that's why methane is so important. And the oil and gas industry, unfortunately, is the biggest industrial source on the planet of methane emissions. So I want to talk about this a little more because I think it's really relevant and important. Can you explain to us how oil and gas companies release methane? Sure. When the oil companies are taking oil and also natural gas out of the ground, the natural gas, to be called natural gas, it has to be about 90% methane. That's basically what natural gas is. It's methane. But when they're taking it out of the ground and shipping it around and processing it, amounts leak. Before the Environmental Defense Fund began measuring it, the oil companies said that very little leaked. Once we measured it, we found out that the amount that was being reported to EPA in the United States was off. Right. The companies actually leaked 60%, 60% more than they were reporting. So you can't really trust, and again, I'm saying this, you don't have to agree with me, but I just need to sort of net this out. So basically, you can't really trust that the oil and gas companies are going to monitor themselves. And we're not going to. That's why we also announced on Saturday, with tremendous support from Mike Bloomberg, a $25 million gift and $40 million in new money overall that Mike Bloomberg announced on Saturday, we announced an accountability partnership with the International Energy Agency and a UN body called the uh, United Nations Environmental Programs, International Methane Emissions Observatory, and EDF. We've got a new accountability project. And EDF's part of that is we are launching a satellite next year that will be able to look at all the major, 80% of the major oil and gas infrastructure on the planet multiple times every week. And we'll be able to see which companies are meeting their promises and which ones aren't. And working with IMEO and the International Energy Agency, IEA, we will be jointly holding them accountable because you're absolutely right. Many things have been said by many different industries at these COPs in the past that don't come true. And so we've, we've built into this the first level of accountability that the companies have to submit their own tests for independent third-party validation and a second level of accountability with these other partners and including data from a satellite that uh, called MethaneSat that the Environmental Defense Fund is launching early next year. What we find out, Molly, every human being on the planet who has access to the internet will be able to see in near real time what each of these companies are doing, what methane is being released all over the world, both because we're making this data not available to just governments or just the companies, but governments, companies, and every human being who can access the internet. It feels like there's a failure on the part of climate activists. And again, they have their hands full. But people don't really understand why methane is so dangerous. But the net net of it really is that methane will heat the atmosphere much faster. Over 80 times faster than CO2 pound for pound. So it's tremendously potent, and more and more environmentalists do understand that, but it's true that not everyone does. And it doesn't only come from the oil and gas industry, by the way, it also comes from coal mining, it comes from landfills, and it comes from agriculture and cows. Cows are a big source, livestock is, yeah. But the cows are still only like 25%, right? Most of it is oil and gas, coal, landfills. Well, actually, agriculture in total is about the same as the fossil fuel contribution. Oh, wow. And so agriculture is important. And the biggest part of agriculture is cows. So, you know, people make jokes about it. It is the, the burps that from the cow's mouth that cause the biggest part of the problem by far. But there's something we can do about that, too. In fact, uh, one of the biggest dairy companies in the world, uh, they pronounce it in France, Danon. In the United States, we say Danon. They have reached an agreement, which we announced, the CEO of Dan Danon and EDF announced in January of this year, that they are going to reduce from their 58,000 farms that supply them with milk, they're going to reduce their methane emissions 
by 30%, again, not by some faraway date like 2050, but by 2030. And so that also will make a difference in the temperatures you and I experience in this next decade. But I also think that this satellite will create accountability, right? Yes, the satellite is key to accountability. There are other methane satellites, but this is one that gives us a comprehensive total of methane emissions, an area-wide total that is unique because it can see what we call diffuse emissions. And a little technical maybe, but you know, when we flew, when we use the same instrument in an airplane and we flew over the oil basins in the United States, we found that most of the methane emissions are from leaking seals on compressors or pipes that have small leaks in them or other chronic small leaks that together make up for the majority of methane that's emitted. In fact, in one basin called the Uinta Basin in Utah, 88% of the leaks from the oil and gas industry are from these diffuse sources. And the beauty of the satellite, it, it's the only satellite that will be able to measure that part of the total. And so when that's 88% of the total, you know, this is a unique instrument with unique capabilities that will really help us hold this industry accountable. Who are the oil companies that have made this pledge? 49 companies have pledged to reduce their methane by what we calculate will be 80 to 90%. And they include the biggest oil companies in the world, like Aramco, and the second biggest oil company in the world, Exxon. These two companies have been resistant to the idea of third-party monitoring and verification, joining a, a UN organization called OGMP. These companies have only recently you know, agreed to sign this pledge, and Exxon has agreed last week to this level of accountability. So that's a breakthrough. But in addition to those, the majority of these companies are nationally owned oil companies like Nigeria, a national oil company, and, and many, many others. And those companies are actually responsible for producing the majority of oil and gas in the planet and a disproportionate amount of the methane emissions. So that's what makes this big step forward so good. But Molly, I have to say, because all of us know we have to move off of fossil fuels fast. We have to accelerate the move to clean energy, to solar, to wind power, geothermal, and other sources of zero carbon energy. Nuclear, in my view, needs to be on the table. It's got to be safe. It can have proliferation concerns. We have to solve those challenges. But as we move as fast as we can, to truly clean sources of energy and away from fossil fuels. We're still driving gasoline-powered cars for a while, heating homes for a while with fossil fuels. So for the next decade or so or more, while we try to stop using these fuels as much as we can, as fast as we can, making sure the methane doesn't continue to poison our planet and cause these ferocious storms, that's critically important as we move away from fossil fuels, you have to do both. How can people find out more about this? Well, they can go to EDF's website, which is simply edf.org. And we have pages on both methane and methane sat. You also sign up for you know our newsletter and we'll, and we'll keep folks informed. Thank you so much for joining us. This was really important. Thank you, Molly. And now, your moment of fuckery. Rick Wilson, you are a special fuckery guest. Today's moment of fuckery here on Fast Politics, <laughs> brought to you by Rick Wilson, <laughs> is my absolutely favorite story that I've seen in months, weeks, maybe this year. In Florida, the chairman of the Republican Party of Florida, Christian Ziegler, oh, yeah. I knew you were and his wife, this. Bridget Ziegler. And here's folks where it gets really delicious. She's the founder of Moms for Liberty. Yes, perhaps you'll remember Moms for Liberty. They were involved in a long-running thruple with another woman, and apparently Christian decided that he was going to go in solo on her, and now there is a police investigation going on down there accusing him of sexual battery, rape, and illegally taping their sex acts. So it's always the rule with the Republican Party, the more conservative and evangelical and hyper busybody they are about how other people are screwing, the more likely they are to have a closet full of gimp suits, butt plugs, and a variety of other 
shady shit in their lives that absolutely puts the lie to their their Christian values. And Christian Ziegler is a guy who is always very quick to be out in front on defending DeSantis attacking Disney, calling people pedophiles, all this shit. And yet, somehow now, he is an accused sexual assaulter, rapist, and thruple aficionado. And Bridget Ziegler of Moms for Liberty, who really wants to save the children from the smut and the and the pornography, she's recording herself having sex with a woman. So I got a couple of questions here, and I, the discomfort level in Florida Republican politics right now is so stratospheric, because I'll tell you a funny little secret. There are two things Tallahassee does better than anywhere else in the country. And I don't know why this is the case. And I will caveat this by saying I have not personally experienced either of these things. But Tallahassee does swingers, orgies, and high-quality cocaine better than anywhere else I've ever heard of. <laughs> this place is a, a hive of scum and villainy. And this story is not over. And it's delicious. And I'm going to eat it up every day. <laughs> Jesse Cannon. Molly Jugfast, diva down. George Santos has been expelled from Congress and he is spilling the tea. What are you seeing here? He has the origin story that every Batman villain has, where he has decided that now that he has been removed from Congress, this hasn't happened in about 20 years, he is going to go after all of his former colleagues. Let me give you the list here. Jamal Bowman, Robert Menendez Jr., Nick LaLoda, Brandon Williams, Mike Lawler, and he has reserved a little bit of special ire for the Republican Congresswoman from Staten Island, Nicole Mikotakos, calling her Nicole Maliostock Tips. Should we mention that he also tried to out her as a homosexual? That she's gay? We don't know that. It's George Santos. He's full of shit about everything. Anyway, for Ferragamo shoes, Botox, OnlyFans, Hermes, George Santos. <laughs> Love that man. That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Got menopause? We've got you. Hi, Jackie here, founder of ExoJackie. Feel supported throughout your menopause journey and beyond with our organic protein powders and symptom relief boosts. Formulated to keep bones and muscles strong, ExoJackie products help reduce bloating, hot flashes, and weight gain. Enjoy 20% off with promo code EXOPODCAST. Shop now at exojacqui.com. Made for women by women. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.